accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Change of Heart. 16th episode of the sixth season aired on March 4th, 1998. Written by Ronald D. Moore, directed by David Livingston in this episode. On a mission to recover a Federation informant on the Dominion world of Sukara, Dax is injured and Morph must choose between completing the mission or saving his wife. Meanwhile, O'Brien enlists Bashir's help to defeat Quark in a game of Tongo. Joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Good. Is this the first time we see Worf's uh, action figure collection that he keeps in his room? Oh, does does he have something? I didn't notice. I was I was distracted by his hair and pajamas. I think if there was yeah, something when else he's, going on, he's over there praying to Jobu. It looked like he opened up this little uh, this his little case, and there was just a, <laughs> like a wharf action. You know how? Remember in Spaceballs how there's they have the action figure of yogurt? Yep, yep. And he's like there holding it. It was kind of like that. It was almost like he opened up this little case, and inside was a little wharf action figure that he was praying to. His his war. It must it must be Kalos or something, but it's his wharf menagerie yeah. of uh, of goods and items that he he uh, enjoys looking at. Except for when he's looking at his wife naked, I suppose would be the other. Very one. limited edition he got from San Diego Comic Con one year. Right. So. <laughs> it's got the number on the bottom. Uh, this is the first Worf and Dax episode since they got married, I think, that's focused on the two of them. So we're back to Worf and Dax. We are back to rescuing uh, informants from deep within Dominion space. I guess we'll take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to break down Change of Heart. The Siren's dead. Starfleet Intelligence intercepted a transmission saying that you've been killed trying to re-enter the base at Sukara. Could you have made the rendezvous? Yes. But yet you turned back to save Jabzia. Yes. Were you aware that the information that man had could have saved millions of lives? Yes. So what happened? You may not understand. Try me, sir. You were at my wedding. You heard the story of the first two Klingon hearts and how nothing could stand against them and how they even destroyed the gods that had created them. I've heard that story since I was a boy, but I never understood it. I mean, really understood it. Until I was standing in the jungle with my heart pounding in my chest, and I found that even I could not stand against my own heart. I had to go back. And it did not matter what Starfleet thought or what the consequences were. She was my wife, and I could not leave her. As your captain... It is my duty to inform you that you made the wrong choice. I thought um, I thought I'd open this clay with something that I thought was kind of a. It's something that's not even really important to the episode, but I think is kind of a, an instructive lesson in how to make TV or film. I think um, we had that episode in the first season, the Move Along Home, where the characters are stuck into that virtual reality world while Quark is playing a game in on the station, and they, like his choices are affecting the uh, the characters who are inside the game. Um, right. That we talked about how terrible that game was because you could not understand what was going on. The episode is terrible in general, but like Quark's game doesn't make any sense and nothing really works. I will say that um, Tongo is a pretty effective nonsense game in terms of these kinds of episodes. I think um, it's it's well it's well designed in this very there's like a visual appealingness to the nature of spinning the wheel and the clinking and they throw the things into the middle and they lay down their cards. It's a for for like a nonsense goofball game that exists only to sort of heighten the um, antagonism between players, I thought it's a pretty good design uh, thing. It had me had me thinking that Star Trek does that fairly well because 3D chess, I think, is another example of um, a good design in that way. And I think 3D chess is actually like a perfect TNG game, while Tongo is a pretty good game for the DS9 stories that they tell. I just thought that was kind of a neat thing to to notice or think about. Yeah, um, the key. I I feel like the key to making a fake game is to have a lot of business that's being done while playing the game, and having like rules or segments that you say out loud. So it sounds like it's a rule of the game that everybody knows, but the viewers has no idea what you're talking about. Right? Um, Did you ever watch New Girl? No. So New Girl, they had a game called True. I think it was called True American that they would play. It was like this insane drinking game that they would play. 
but they never once over the course of like seven seasons or however many seasons that was on uh explained the rules you just cut in at different points with them playing it where it's like they'll be standing on a couch and have to jump over to a chair while wearing like a hat on and yell like Eleanor Roosevelt or something like that. Yeah, right. And it was just completely random, but it was, it felt like, you know, felt like you were watching a real ridiculous drinking game because it was someone, someone has the rules to a true American or someone has the rules to Tongo. Um, they, they, or at least enough of the rules where you can write a scene with it and make it seem, um, believable. Right. The, the rules kind of like enhance the story in a way where, you know, the, the scene here is Quark and Bashir playing off each other where Quark is antagonizing him, but you can you can see through their betting how it's impacting each of the characters. And it, it's just a neat little, it, it's good in a way that the game like Move Along Home was not good because that was just random nonsense that was happening. Here yes. it, it feeds into the narrative. And I think it's just like a, it's a well-designed silly game that they came up with. And it's also uh, perfectly Ferengi. I think like just the terminology they use and they're going to like yeah, margin the in- yeah. or index the margin and things like that. It's a very, a very, uh, a very uh, mercantile game or like businessy game that I think the Ferengi would actually be good at. So it's, it's an interesting thing that they did with them. Yeah. It did seem like the, the game was Tongo was basically Ferengi for uh, filling out like a, uh, a mortgage loan application. Right. Yep. Based on the stuff that they were saying anyway. Negotiate that point. And now that the Fed has cut our interest rates, we need to refi at this point. Get your refinance options in. Uh, let's talk about Change of Hearts. It's Worf and Dax. Um, and uh, what I think is a, a pretty good episode. Um, I like this one. I think that I'll, I'll throw it to you after just saying that we had a couple episodes in a row of the past one where we were, we were kind of wondering whether or not the quality was good or if we were just kind of reacting to being tired of uh non-serialized adventures in this uh season or series because we're getting towards the end and you kind of like oh it feels like we're wasting time and wasting uh air going through these but i think that i think that this episode shows that the to me the problem with the previous two episodes is that those previous ones did not do what this show does well which is the character work between people and i think that it's not that the the concepts or whatever can't work. It's because they don't put in very interesting or like effective or personalized character work like they do in here. And I thought this one, even though it's not really that exciting of an episode, I think it's really Mm. just so much better than the previous ones we've seen because it's, it's dealing with the characters and moving away from sci-fi episodes like shrinking uh, and stuff like that, which I don't think the show does particularly well, but this is what this show does well. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I kind of felt like it was actually in line with those previous two. Uh, I do think it's better for the reasons that you're saying. Um, because yeah, what was missing from those other two was any sort of real character stuff, uh, which this one is almost entirely character stuff. Um, my issue with it though is that ultimately I didn't feel like there was any change in the characters. Um, you know, ironically ironic, giving the title of the episode, um, because when they, when Dax and Worf left for the mission, they weren't really at odds about anything. They kind of, you know, just, you know, bickering about the honeymoon and stuff, but there was no tension between them really. And at the end, they are, more or less in the same place and they love each other and stuff. And I know that the turn is supposed to be that Worf chooses her over the mission or whatever, but uh I don't know. I just felt like there wasn't for the story that they were telling. Um, I didn't feel like there was enough stress on them, uh, on their relationship or from the situation they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't come up cause I, I was waiting for the punch at the end. Um, I, when they had the scene at the end, I thought Dax was just gonna was gonna be like, "No, you absolutely should not have done that." You, I thought she was gonna like chew him out or something, and so to to put some sort of strain on the relationship because there wasn't really much of a strain for the rest of it. You know, there's just as I mean, there's no more strain than would be if you were lost in the woods with your with your significant other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's gonna get kind of kind of hairy there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I you know I thought it was good. I, I thought this I thought it was an interesting wharf episode, and really, 
it does show you how much he has changed. Maybe that's the thing. He it shows you how much he has changed in that I don't think TNG Wharf would necessarily have done what he does here. Yeah. Um but yeah, I could have gone with a little bit more um stress on the relationship or or at least external stress or something instead of them just going walking through the woods. I don't know. I, I they need a little bit more for me. Yeah, I would have um I think that my counterpoint to that would be it's this is well, the conflict that they go through here is not about their relationship. It's about Worf's um change of heart in terms of what he considers to be important at this point. Sure. And so I think that the the stress between those two, I think I think it's fairly effective because they are getting along for this in a good portion yeah. of it. And I think that they the writers do something here which is completely at odds with how they write the O'Briens, where Dax and Worf actually talk to each other in a way that feels like a real relationship with each other. Yes, yeah. They're very good at poking fun at each other in a way that is just tiptoeing the line of actually being offensive to each other, <laughs> uh, which I think is really good. And I think that Worf has some really good lines and jokes in this episode. He's He's settled into a uh, – it's that thing that happened at the end of the last episode where he's now – becoming a character who plays off of his perception of him, his old self and, and jokes mm-hmm. around in kind of new ways. But I, I think that it works because if any, if I was to agree with your point, I think that the problem would be is that Worf does not open the episode with a kind of career focus. So a lot yeah, of this depends yeah. on you knowing that Worf would be all about the mission and his Klingon honor depends on completing the mission and doing what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and the change there would be he he flips it. However, I think it's, I think I, I think I appreciate the subtlety of you need to know the character to realize how big of a change this was for him. Even though I think there's another counterpoint that um, his he hasn't really cha- he hasn't really moved away from following his duty. It's just that his duty has changed. So he's right. still he's still fundamentally the same character who believes in like honor and doing the right thing. It's just that he now has this variable in his life where doing the right thing is no longer what it used to be 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think I think uh having a little bit more about the career stuff at the beginning could have gone a long way cuz you know, I I do I do appreciate what you're saying um about the subtleties of it, but you know, it's it, it's one of those things where it's like oh for as subtle as they are in this episode they uh which you can chalk up to being like oh well you know they're 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 playing off of what people know about the character and you know people who have been watching the show blah blah blah, blah. there has been 99,000 times where that where they have just laid you over the head with something be- because of the the nature of how the tv worked back then and mm-hmm. you've got to have some frame of reference if you have never watched the show or if you've been out of the loop for a while yeah so I I'm I hesitate to give them full marks for subtlety because it doesn't seem like it's something that they normally do. Sure. Uh, um, and also just I don't know. I think I think <clears throat> I think having a little bit more to indicate what his you know the the his level of focus is at the beginning I think makes it a bit stronger for me just because it, you get more of a a uh, uh an immediate sense of of where his mind is at. I mean it doesn't have to be a ton of you know they don't have to be arguing about it or whatever, but they you know just enough to make that change at the end feel clear that what he's doing is oh okay, he's he's really sacrificing every uh everything for her cuz I I was I was a little surprised at the scene at the end where uh um Cisco's chewing him out that he wasn't like a little bit more concerned about the fact that he had just potentially caused the death of millions of people. (laughs) Who's more upset, Cisco or Worf? Worf. Worf. Yeah. Because Cisco's like, you know, the information that guy had could have saved the lives of millions of people. And Worf's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. I, I, I get it. Well, it's, I it's get, not. I get it's, what's going on. It's but. not like those millions of people died. I guess like there, Cisco's talking about it in the sort of like future possible sense. So the, true. The, yeah. I, I guess it might not land as heavy as if Worf was doing like a trolley problem where he's like save right, Dax right, right. or kill a million people. He doesn't make that right. choice. He just kind of he he doesn't not kill a million people. I guess would be the way. So I, I understand him being a little bit. Um, 
not flippant, but it, like it not sinking in or not being as heavy at that point. And I think that that would have been a, I think that's actually the worst choice if they set it up like a trolley problem and Worf has yes, to pull a switch. Yeah. So I, I like it better this way. Yeah. I did like at the end though, that Cisco uh, at least took a little bit of responsibility and was like, all right, well, at the very least from this point on, I'm not sending you both on missions together. <laughs> TNG had a whole episode about this called Lessons, where Picard falls in love and he has to send his new lover off on a dangerous mission and she almost dies. And then the end of the episode is he kicks her off the ship because he can't deal with it anymore. Yeah, Um, yeah. This this is that. And you'd think that they – I think this is potentially another solution to your problem here. I think that if they – if these two are supposed to go off on this mission together – a good way to show Worf's dedication to his career is not to have them called in by Kira, but for Worf to volunteer them to do it. Yeah, yeah, that would be good too, yeah. Because then I think that maybe Dax is hesitant to do it or something, but Worf is like, we have to do this because this is the right thing to do and we're going to save a million lives. And then you see that he is career-driven and for this sort of like ending the war or whatever. And then it his ultimate choice has to completely do a 180 on what he said earlier. Yeah. You know, it's funny that uh, military institutions have to keep learning the same lesson uh, because, you know, you know that, that, that's the whole plot basically of Saving Private Ryan is that, you know, about, uh, they stopped putting brothers together because entire families were getting killed. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I mean, it, you'd think it. They, they also did that in the First World War, which is where you'd think they would have made the biggest note about this, where they uh, uh, originally people used to. Um, back in the in the earlier days of the war, when it was still kind of like the cool thing to go off and you know fight Jerry or whatever, um, entire towns worth of young men would go and sign up together, and they would end up in these like divisions or brigades or whatever uh, that were named by the, their town because it was all people from the same town. Yep. So when you started having these battles where thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people were getting killed at a time. You would have these these instances where an entire town's worth of young men were all killed at the same time. So you would just uh, an entire town basically just wiped off the face of the planet. Right. So you would think after that it would be like asterisk. Make sure you we spread these people out so we're not just destroying entire towns. Randomize, yeah, randomize trials. I think is the best way to go about things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's another it's another criticism of uh, we talked about it a little bit, but the. Um, the O'Brien as an undercover agent episode, like O'Brien, mm-hmm. O'Brien as the man with a family, a wife and child, is not the agent that you send in on these missions. I don't yes. think like you yeah. you give yeah. someone who doesn't have something that can be used against him would be the way to go. Not the guy with the family back home. It would have saved us at least two hours worth of cheesy melodrama in Pearl Harbor if they had just split those yeah. brothers up. Yeah. Which I will say, I will go to bat for Pearl Harbor. The action scenes in Pearl Harbor, fantastic. <laughs> is the it attack Casey scene? Ann? It's uh, Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett. Oh, that's right. It's Josh Hartnett. It's not Casey. Yeah. Okay. The stuff that's not story related or, you know, love story related in that movie, A+. plus. Yeah. Everything else, which is about 85% of the movie, is complete garbage. I just have an image of... Uh, Ben Affleck not wearing a Batman costume on a turret spinning around, basically. Like, it's a very Batman esque thing. I think he's on a turret at some point in that movie, isn't he? Well, the planes he wears, are flying. He over. wears a lot of uh, white tank tops in that movie. Okay, good. Per- period appropriate high pants and white tank tops. That was bad Affleck period, right? That was his down period, I think, right? With <laughs> Near Gili and stuff. I think, I think it was in that era. Yeah, that was, um, that was in his first major push to be like a star star. Hmm. Not okay. Great. Uh, let me see. So, <laughs> excuse me. The the one thing, the the thing that I think that they could actually have fixed with the, uh, I have one bit of annoyance with the Worf and Dax thing, which is as much as they are fantastic together, I think at this point in the kind of needling uh, each other and the, um, I like Dax's line of he's the funny one when she's talking to the yeah. Cardassian. That, that's all very good. I really like the script for this one. I think it works well. I I do think that Dax becomes a bit too much of the I'm going to joke around while dying character later mm-hmm. on, which Worf's mm-hmm. like, Jesus, like, you're you're almost dead. Like, you are, you're knocking on death's door, and she's like, I'm going to get a second opinion as she's yeah. like there. It's like, <laughs> it, it's like, can you guys start talking realistically to each other? I mean, are they the, they're the kind of characters that should talk 
openly with each other. They do end it that way. I was just, I think it goes on in the jungle a little bit too long where she's trying to put on a brave face and it does, it does end where she tries to stand up. And I think that it's super effective that she's crying when he leaves at the end. Mm, mm. Um, but outside of that, it's a very minor quibble, but it just, I think they do like two interactions too many of her being a, uh, a lighthearted jokester while dying. Yeah. It's they're not quite at Monty Python territory, but they're, uh, Tis but a scratch. Close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, uh, what you said about having instead of having Kira send them down to have them volunteer. And I think that would have gone a long way, actually, for me because the other thing that I kind of felt about it was I liked all the stuff in the cold open. I think I think Dorn is getting really good at his comic timing with Worf when uh, when he and O'Brien are watching the Tonga game, and O'Brien's like, "Do you even know how this game is played?" And he's just, <laughs> "No." No, I don't. <laughs> that was great. Um, and, you know, you get to see the stuff with, with him and Dax and, you know, praying to Joe Boo and whatnot. Uh, but the actual end of the cold open is Kira saying, you guys need to go on this mission. And I didn't find that super effective. I thought it was kind of a, a, a dud of a cold open. Oh, okay. Um, because, the, you know, I like my cold opens to have a bit of a hook to them. And I didn't really find that to be much of a hook because it was just like, here's a mission. Here's a Star Trek episode, right? Yeah, Yeah, here's a Star Trek episode. But if if they had been in that situation where, uh, you know, Kira calls them in and says blah blah blah, and Worf is like, we will do, we will take this mission, that kind of thing, and like, you know, Dax shoots him a look or something, right? Because they're supposed to go on honeymoon, honeymoon. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, like something like that. That I think would have been perfect. Um, but as it stands, it, it fell a little flat for me in the cold open, and I think what you're saying would have would have gone a long way to fixing it. What do you uh, What do you think about the B plot here between these uh, the Bashir O'Brien and Quirk playing Tonga with each other? Kind of, I'm, I'm conflicted kinda, about this. I don't yeah. know what to think. I so did Bashir used to have the hots for Dax. Are you, are, you, are you being sarcastic or is that like a, a real? No, I compl- I completely forget. He did. It, he it, spent the first three seasons chasing her. Really? Yeah. Man, none of this shit sticks in my head. Yeah. Because uh, because when that was happening, I was like, I don't I don't remember this at all. I don't remember him <laughs> holding a torch for her in any way. Yeah, it's, I, it's maybe, been a while. Yeah, maybe because he they turned him into such a a, a hound yep. that I it, it just all kind of runs together. But I. Specifically, Dax, I don't remember that at all. He had his whole thing with Lita in between and stuff like yeah, that. So he's, he's had stuff. relationships in between, but he did, he did, there, his early characterization was he's the doctor and he wants to fuck Dax. That's how he was written. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that threw me for a loop a little bit, which I guess, you know, this is, this is why you're, this is why the subtleties of <laughs> longstanding character stuff don't always work for the better. Uh, even with someone who's been watching the show, you're like, for the has last Worf ever has Worf ever wanted to maintain his honor? Is that something that's uh, is that something <laughs> this character is all about? I don't remember any of this. Uh, Worf keeps talking about his brother and his dad. Have we ever met them? <laughs> um, but yeah, the 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 B plot itself, I thought it was it was okay. Um, I I liked it for the I, I liked it for the the uh, um, element of uh quark getting one over on on bashir quark's very good quark's very yeah. good in this one yeah i, I like that yeah i him. thought that stuff was good um it ultimately you know it's one of those b plots where i mean does does this come back does he start lusting after dax again he does yes ah, a little yes okay. yes he does yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was thinking it would be. I, I like it when the B plots are are tied a little more thematically to uh, to everything else that's going on, and maybe this was. I don't know. I think I think seems, it actually is. I'm I'm yeah. super conflicted because this to me, I could see a lot of listeners saying you normally complain about these B plots that kind of happen and they just seem to fill time and then they end and there's no real resolution to what's going yeah. on, and mm-hmm. I think structurally that's what this is. However, I think that. I think it thematically matches because it's about Bashir realizing that he's lost Dax and Worf is not going to lose Dax. So mm-hmm. even though they're not talking about it, it's about they both share the same theme of losing Dax potentially. Right. And one of I'm them is that. about it being over. And then Worf decides it's not going to be over for him and he continues on with it. 
I like it a lot just because as much shit as I grief as I give Colmini and stuff, like they work, the characterization writing here from the script from Ron Moore just works for these characters. I think Quark is fantastic. I think I like this version of O'Brien, which is kind of grumpy, obsessive O'Brien. Yes. And I think Bashir as the kind of go along with it and he like, he wants to play in the hollow suite with O'Brien, but then he's going to go with his friend and do this. I think it all really works. And I think that the Tongo works with Quark uh, irritating Bashir. They lose, all that money's gone. It doesn't really wrap up or anything, but I think it's a, it's a light enough plot where I don't need that resolution. And I think, I think it thematically ties in well enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I think, uh, you know, Bashir and O'Brien always work well together. It's been a while since they've we've had uh, a hijinks episode with them. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like that O'Brien can't pick up the rules to the game, and he's looking through the rule book as they're playing with each other. He's like, "What index the margin? What does that mean? Yeah. yeah. That's, that reminded me of any time any of our friends play board games. Yes, it's a very accurate representation. Yeah, where it's like... I don't even I don't even ask to play anymore because it's just like sure do you have 45 minutes to learn the rules to this game and mm-hmm. it's like I do not I yep. do not want to do that. <laughs> um and it, you know it ends up, it ends up being me playing and then going okay. So what do I do now? You do this. Okay. Now what? Little help. And uh little help. Yeah, here. that yep. gets a little tiring I can I assume from everybody else's standpoint. <laughs> uh which is probably why they kicked me out of the D&D group. Anyway, it's a lot of rules to remember. Um, it's it's all complicated yeah. jargon, as O'Brien tells us here, where you got you got to learn the uh, the the terminology and then the rule that relates to the terminology. Yes, but yeah, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was fun. You know, I like seeing. Uh, um, you know, the one thing I might change, unless I'm remembering it incorrectly, is I I might have made Bashir a little more cocky about it. Because O'Brien has to talk him into it a little bit, and he's like, "Well, I don't know," and blah 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 blah. But if if uh, if Bashir had been like, "Oh, I can beat him," you know, that yeah, kind of, I can kind count of thing. cards, like believing in his ability to play that game a little bit more than yeah. he does, yeah, yeah. Like if they had switched it a little bit, where it was because because O'Brien is the one pushing for Bashir to do it. Uh, if they had switched, and Bashir is kind of like hemming and hawing and and, and about it. If they had switched that. So it was, you know, Bashir trying to help O'Brien learn how to play. And then Bashir's like, you know what? I can beat this guy. Let me do it. And then, and then O'Brien saying, you know, Cork has won 200 games. He's never been beaten. It's not as, it's not as easy as you think it is, despite how genetically altered your intelligence might mm. be. And, you know, Bashir's to be like, yeah, how hard can it be? It's, it's cards, blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, I think that's another way that it ties in thematically because Bashir is approaching it from a statistical way of playing the game, which is kind of like it's always better to save a million lives than to save one. But Quark wins by playing on his emotions of the game as opposed Mm to uh, the actual game. So I I think it's actually a really nice metaphor. I think it works really well between the two things, the A and the B plot. Yeah, now that you say it that way, I would agree with it. Yeah, I think it's I think it works. Um. Anything else we have to say about this? I, I, I what, what do you? Um, I guess we'll just wrap it up with a general. Uh, what do you think about the Worf and Dex relationship at this point? They haven't really focused on it because they just got married ten episodes ago or something like that. But I, um, I think it's like the one of the better relationships the Star Trek is like, uh, yeah. like romantic relationships. They don't do many of them, but I think it stands out as being really effective. I think that Terry Farrell is in a good way in these scenes with Michael Dorn, uh, like she, she's, she's allowed to play a version of the character that I think is, she is best at and best suited yeah. for. And I think it works really well for the both of them. Yeah, I would agree. Um, they're one of those relationships where, uh, I'm glad that they are not front and center because the problem with television relationships is when you put two characters together, ultimately they, they become more boring or at least that's how they're perceived by the the people creating the show. Yeah. So also it's in just, real, also uh, in real life, that's a yeah. <laughs> that's a real life trait. Where especially for when you're younger, when people get together, they're like, oh, they're boring now. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, the writers immediately start thinking of ways to break them up. Uh, I think not having watched the show, but having heard enough about it, I feel like the ultimate example of that is probably Friends, where didn't they all end up interchanging with each other more or less through yeah. the course of however many seasons they yeah, are. Yeah, after you do 11 seasons of a, like a relationship show, you kind of 
It's the 90210 thing, too. They all just start dating each other. There's no one else exists in this universe except for them. Yeah. So I'm glad that that Dax and and Worf are out of the spotlight enough where you can just kind of let them kind of have a happy ending for for more uh, more or less, where you could still do relation stuff with them, relationship stuff with them, um, but they're not so front and center that you feel a need to just shatter their relationship as soon as it happens. And and you feel good about it, too, because, you know, you want a couple people to be happy. It's like the Jim and Pam thing on The Office. Mm Mm-hmm. When they got together, it's like if they had broken Jim and Pam up, that would have like I think everybody who watched that show would have just shattered into a thousand pieces. Like and and it would have turned on the show absolutely and it never would have come back. Yeah. yeah. Um so sometimes you yeah, sometimes you just want these characters to to have a relationship and you know, you can you can watch them doing relationship stuff without everything having to be like, "Ooh, will they break up?" you know? It doesn't right. have to be Sam and Diane all the time. Yeah, that that that's true. It's it's not about their it's not about the tenuousness of their relationship uh, at this point. It's more about their interactions with each other as they're a couple. And I I really just have to stress like they they, they work on every level that the O'Briens don't work for whatever reason. It's it's just it, it feels like it's a real thing here. And I think that they the writers have um, matured as obviously it's later than TNG, but TNG's romance always felt like soap opera, op opera stilted. Like it felt yeah. like just like, hello lover. And then you hold each other in that like half embraces you're a foot apart from each other and looking at each yes. other's eyes. Like th- this feels like they actually exist in a way that I think is, um, it shows the maturity of the writers are getting older. They're not like early twenties anymore at this point. They're, you know, they're in their thirties or whatever, or late twenties. And I think that yes. it's just coming together. It's not Riker breathlessly saying, and Zadi, we can never be together or whatever the fuck that, you know, and holding her close and then having to split apart and, and dramatically. How, yeah, how do you, you know, remember Imzadi, but you don't remember that Bashir, Bashir had the hots for Dex? That is a strange. Because that, that's a, the Imzadi thing is a core, a core tenant of the show. <laughs> Apparently, clearly, Bashir being into Dax was just like a, a summer camp thing for three seasons. Interesting. Um, you know, I also think that a realistic relationship is uh, not the norm in most shows. Um, you know, every everything, most show relationships are, end up having to be tempestuous, just like, you know, like I said, to keep the, the interest up and the drama going. Yeah. So Even that just happens at a story so, level. Like, you need yeah. some conflict between them, yeah. And so that happens so often that, having two characters who are more or less in a normal relationship becomes uh, a novel. Yeah. And especially in something like Star Trek, where for the most part, they've never really been able to pull that off. Yeah. Doing it, it, it makes the world feel more um, authentic. Yeah. We, to we, see two characters who same... are actually. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just, it makes the world, it makes the world, that you're supposed to be envisioning this future and, you know, the people who live in it and it's supposed to be authentic. Having, having a relationship that is a normal relationship makes, goes a long way to making that seem authentic. And uh, they managed to do it. It's just interesting that they managed to do it with these two kind of, you know, weird characters. Um, conflict riddled characters. Yeah. Yeah. Conflict riddled characters that, that aren't uh, uh, anybody's first choice to put together at the beginning of the show. Uh, but your previously established canon normal relationship of O'Brien and his wife is just like I don't know too normal I guess yes. I don't know how you would describe it. Yeah, it's um, it is too normal. Like there's a a, a normal relationship has a slight bit of conflict in it. it it's not yeah. a yeah. the O'Briens have like zero conflict mostly because O'Brien does not hang out with his family, so you never see anything of them. Yeah. But they are. They are just like a cardboard cutout of a family for him. They they exist only to make him be the character who has a family. It's not like the show actually cares about them at all. Yeah, and this is different because they give uh, they give as good as they get with it, and it feels like each of them are totally true characters. That was the the other point to just finish. It was um we had said the same about Jake Sisko's relationship with Ben Sisko. Is yeah, it's not exactly. the angsty teen thing. Like they yeah. they get along enough where it feels like it could actually be a realistic portrayal of father and son. They're not they're not constantly like, oh dad, like get off my yeah. space station, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The O'Brien the O'Brien relationship is dying for like 
the sequence from Heat where o- O'Brien comes home and, and Keiko's just slept with Xander Berkeley, who's awkwardly watching TV. <laughs> and then they argue about how O'Brien is his whole job. And then he yells at Xander Berkeley for not being able to watch the TV and yep. tell him to sit down. I went to see Heat last night, so it's on my mind. <laughs> that movie's great. Uh, yeah, and Worf, uh, there was nothing that there, there is one thing that Worf can't just drop if when he feels the heat coming around the corner. I guess is what this one tells us. She got a great ass. She got a great ass. So let's uh, take a break. All the way up it. <laughs> We're gonna play an audio clip. Me and Clay will come back. We'll read some patron thoughts. Can you and just give... can you just play clips from Heat instead? Sure, I'll see if I can do that. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll come back. We'll do patron thoughts and our thoughts, and then we will wrap up our discussion of change of heart. Hey. We have met. Oh, you're joking again. That's a good sign. Did you make the rendezvous? No. I could not leave you there. Not for Lazarin. Not for the mission. Not for anything else. Lazarin? Dead. Are you in trouble? I've been in trouble before. I'm sorry. I should have kept going. You have nothing to be sorry about. I know how much your career means to you. You come first. Before career, before duty, before anything. I do not regret what I did. And I would do it again. Okay, so if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. We usually give away podcasts and things like that. Exclusive podcasts that you can only get on the Patreon. So patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. Our Captain Tier supporters also get a shout-out. So special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Much appreciated. Let's go to patron thoughts now. If you're a patron, you get to leave your thoughts on upcoming episodes, and we read them. So, first one here. Let me control F and find myself. Zam Nuclear Vessel says, Change of heart. Possibly my favorite all-around episode for Worf and Dax. Too bad that it's also got Quark stirring Bashir's Dax obsession back to life. An answer. How come everybody knew about this but me? <laughs> Samuel S. says, A good 30-minute episode trapped inside of a 45-minute show. Seriously, if you put more fluff in this episode, it would become a pillow. The Worf and Dax storyline is interesting and engaging, but the B-plot of O'Brien trying to get Bashir to beat Quark goes nowhere, and it just ends halfway through the show. It's obvious the writers realized that after they finished the script that they still had 15 minutes to kill three out of five. Cardinal Doomsday, the boring one with Dax and Worf in the jungle. Dax is more annoyingly flippant than usual. In the B-plot, O'Brien and Bashir feel intimidated by Quark, for fuck's sake. Two out of five. Jay Ayers. Hold on one second. Sure. Sorry, I thought I was going to sneeze and I didn't want to ruin it. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm going to cut that out. I'll try to remember. 37 minutes. Jay Ayers. Change of heart. Is Dax the only person who sleeps naked, and why is Worf completely dressed when he wakes up? Average episode for the most part with a mediocre B-plot of O'Brien, Bashir, and Quark. Quick question. Yeah. Which one of those is the weird one for him? Uh, if Dax is naked or Worf is dressed? Yeah. Or are they both weird? Uh, I feel like you can, depending on how you read that, because you could be like, is, wait, is Dax the only one who sleeps naked? I, d- as, in like, I, I, as in like, that's just what everybody should do. I think he means in terms of the show, I guess. We don't get a lot of sleepwear, uh, like, visuals, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, it was... I li- listen, the internet's a big place. I'm sure if you look <laughs> probably not even that hard, you could probably find some stories about what everybody else is wearing and not wearing to bed. Her spots go all the way... I mean, it was... It, it is a very un-Star Trek-y amount of sexiness that they did there with the... Um, I, I even like the shot of Worf pulling the blankets off in her feet, urn frame. Yes, as she's yeah. there like that's kind of it's just charming stuff like that um 
I would imagine that the computers are so sensitive that you would probably sleep naked because it has like the ideal computer temperature going in your room oh, at yeah. that point. But who knows? Interesting. Average episode for the most part with a mediocre B-plot of O'Brien, Bashir, and Quirk. It's saved in the end by Worf and Sisko's meeting over the failed mission. Sisko damning Worf's actions and his career is in tatters, but it ties up the beginning of the episode. Worf would rather lose with Dax than win with someone else. It's a good point. Um, next one. Will Yates. Change of heart. Dot, dot, dot. Great last scene, I guess. I don't like all the negativity about this episode, guys. This is, uh, uh, this is unappealing <laughs> to me. Matt Ross says, change of heart. I think this is actually well done from the side story of the Tongo game and Bashir's unre- uh, unrequited love, a frustration of having an injured spouse in your own mission. Oh, two, the frustration, sorry. Probably why that was a bad idea to send the married couple together on a deadly mission. The emotion expressed seemed genuine and the weight of duty versus love was well shown on the mission. The fact Worf has a pole up his ass and that Nadia seems to make him, uh, not uh, Jedzia, I'd assume that's an autocorrect, that Jedzia seems to make him less stiff as well expressed. You have to look past the ridiculous nature of sending the strategic <laughs> ops officer of a base with his wife and the chief science officer. Once you do that, it's fine. Not the best or the worst. Autocorrect? Or did we just learn something about Matt that we didn't know before? That sort of <laughs> Who's Nadia? Slip? Who's- yeah. <laughs> He's having flashbacks of like a platoon-esque uh, flashback where Nadia is being left behind. Let me see. He put hearts in there, so I have to do it twice. Kyle Barrett. Change of heart, a decent idea that should have spawned a fairly average episode, but I think Ronald D. Moore's script is fantastic and ameliorates, good word there, the episode. It's still nothing incredible, but I do enjoy the episode quite a bit. And it gave us that Worf facepalm gif, so that's something. I noticed, Clay, you say jif instead of gif. I do. Mm. And uh, I don't really care <laughs> where, where anybody stands on that. <laughs> I, I just think that the I peanut butter like is are... jif, and that's with a J. So this has got to be gif. Sorry, say that again? Well, the peanut butter is Jif with a J. Yeah, but I mean, you've also got giraffe, which is a soft G and an mm-hmm. I. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of words. For also, you've also got G. gorilla if we're going to go down the animal path. Come on, come on. Well, yeah, but I mean, G, I'm talking G-I here. <laughs> there's, plen- there's plenty of soft G-I words to, to back up the reading of saying Jif instead of Gif. It also gave us that Worf facepalm gift, so that's something. A quick question. While the homoeroticism <laughs> between Bashir and O'Brien is a bit of a joke in the fandom, if the show were written today where writers are on social media and being bombarded with opinions and fan feedback, plus the greater effort of including gay characters, do you think the writers would seriously consider making them a couple? Let's, oh, man. Let, let's, clo- let's close with that, actually. I don't want to yeah. – we'll, we'll close with that. I have one more comment. Change of heart, a weak episode in a strong season. This episode finally answers the question, what could go wrong having spouses serve together on a mission? A lot, apparently. One redeeming piece is the realization that there are many in Cardassia who are not happy with the Dominion. That's it. Thank you, patrons, for your thoughts. Uh, let's, we'll, we'll wrap up with that thing and then do our final thoughts here, Clay. So Kyle says, uh, the homoeroticism between Bashir and O'Brien is a bit of a joke in the fandom, but if the show were written today, where the writers are on social media and being bombarded with fan opinions and feedback, plus the greater effort of including gay characters in a series, do you think the writers would seriously consider making them a couple? I think, I think yes, and I think it would be a, the right move. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that like, you know, uh, these characters demand to be together or anything like that, but I mean, that's something that they've never done on the show before. You yeah. know, if you've got O'Brien uh, in a straight marriage and Bashir seemingly a straight dude, um, and they kind of... You know, space gets lonely. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of emptiness I think that in would, space. Except yeah, for your I think that would be really interesting. You know, they. I, I think that the problem with something like that, though, is a storyline like that. Can I say this w- with it with it equating to uh, the way that they've handled other stuff? Um, okay, what my my feeling is that a storyline like that would be so revolutionary that I feel like it would take up. That's not the way I want to say Sorry, are, no. you, are you talking about in terms of DS9, if they'd written it into DS9, or are you talking about a storyline nowadays if they had a story? Just in general. Okay. Like, I think I think that sort of storyline um, feels like it would take up a ton, of, a ton of space. Yes. Because there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, and I'm not saying you can't do it, but I, 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 I feel like that's going to be really heavy. I feel it's too um, complicated for Star Trek. I, I, I think yeah, that I, 
I think they could do it. I just I I think uh it w- I think they could do it. I think it would be really interesting to do. Um it would just really depend on execution cuz yeah, there's so much stuff. There's so many things going on there. You know, it's it would take a lot of finesse to make that to make that work, I think, and not feel completely ham-fisted. Yeah, I I when I and when I say complicated, it's mostly just that if you were to do a service to that that feels like a plot thread that has to stretch through like season or multiple yes. seasons yeah and yeah. you know it it weirdly works in ds9 because it's like not that this is what they're doing but like because you see them together so often it kind of builds that that feeling that that's what's going on i don't think the show actually the show in my opinion does not believe that these two are interested in each other right they're, they just agree. like yeah. the pairing of them being stuck together yeah and if you were to stick this into something like a discovery show, even if it was like a good version of a discovery show, it feels a little bit too, um, it feels like a little bit too involved for a Star Trek plot line. Like yeah, you'd really fair. have to yeah. delve into it in a way that it doesn't stick with the Star Trek, like, Oh, revelation. And then we do this and then we go off and do our own thing. It, it feels like you'd really have to stick with those characters. And I don't know if that's the best thing for a Star Trek show. But I think you can certainly do that in other shows, and it would be much more of a natural fit. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if if they tried to do something like that. Um, and it's only because of the the complicating, like if they were just gay, like Stamets and Culber on Discovery, it's not a problem. But we're talking about like O'Brien having a family, like a straight family. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That that's got a lot of moving parts. Right. <laughs> and if they, yeah, it, this show is definitely not equipped for it. I. I think they could do it. I don't know if it's for st- it's best for Star Trek to do, but I think they certainly could. And I also yeah. don't think that the show believes that these two are sexually interested in each other. DS9 does not I mean, believe that. That's the entire plot of the show Grace and Frankie. Mm-hmm. So you could just take that show and transplant it to a starship and you, there you go. Yeah, pointy ears on people and you you got Star Trek right there. Yeah. Jane Fonda painted green. Well, on our scale of 1 to 5, Clay, what are you going to give Change of Heart? Uh, I'm going to give it a 3. Okay. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I like things about it, but it doesn't, it hasn't, it didn't really elevate out of that run we've been on of, of stuff that's just sort of like one-off episodes. And again, I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to judge the episodic stuff based on my wish that it was all serialized stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say, I would say it's a high three. Um, cause I think there is some really, really great character stuff in it, but overall it's, it's, it's not one that I think I would come back to. Yeah. I'll give it a four. Um, I really like it. I think it's, um, it just has a script that's actually like about something and sort of interesting and reveals things yeah. about our characters in a way that the previous two haven't done that. And mm-hmm. I, I think it, um, I think it was also, well time for them to have a script or a show about Dax and Worf in this way. Also, points taken away for having change of in the title and not involving some sort of mind or body swap. Yeah. It's it's really just a change of heart. There's nothing tricky about the title yeah, it's whatsoever. very literal, which, <laughs> come on. It's a very literal figurative statement. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. They didn't, he didn't even get like a heart transplant or something. <laughs> you know, like Dax is dying there. And, oh, she needs a new... You know, honestly, what I thought was going to happen, this is what I thought the episode was going to be. I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be, they're on this mission, Dax gets hurt, she's on her deathbed, and the, the, in order to save her, the symbiote dies. Yep. And so she, she gets a new symbiote, and so that changes her personality. Yeah. And so what does that mean for their relationship and their marriage now that, that well, I guess Dax now, is dead? Yeah, yeah, now that she's a different person. No, yeah. they could have. They could have gone that way. Um, Do they go that way? Does that happen eventually? I'm not going to say anything, but your that that <laughs> sounds like a. I'd call that a big yes. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll. It's it's not long, uh, so we'll see how it, how things go about that way. But they, there is a uh, change in their relationship coming up. Um, let's is see. That here. episode is that episode called like a change of. A change of relationship. Spirits. Yeah, change of relationship. <laughs> change of relationship status. Uh, the yeah. face. <laughs> um, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Social media links are all down below. You can go to the website, check that out. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? I do. The Kickstarter for my graphic novel, Bloody Hell, is currently running right now. And I would like to thank 
all of you who have donated because we hit our twelve thousand dollar goal in under seven hours on day one. Yay! Play to plus. Yeah, which is it's I I not in a million years was I expecting that kind of response. So thank you to everybody uh, who threw in. Uh, you know, now I, I now I have all all the pressure on me now to actually do a book worthy of this excitement. <laughs> um, now but the yeah, it's podcast gonna, listeners came out strong. I'm, uh, I'm happy they did. I, I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah. It, it means a lot to me. Um, uh, yeah, but the campaign is still up for you know another 29 days, yep. and uh, I'm going to be adding new stuff on there. I just put a bunch of stretch goals on there because you know we're we're actually pushing 15,000 right now, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, keep on looking. Uh, keep on checking it out. I th- one of the uh, to give you a little inside inside tip. One of the things I'm putting up maybe next week or the following week is going to be a uh, guest spot, uh, a reward tier for a guest spot on Badass with me and Sean. So if that's something you might be into, if that's uh, enough to get you off the fence, mm-hmm. then uh, keep your eyes open for that. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. Again. Thanks for uh, supporting the Kickstarter. Thank you for being generous, and um, thank you for supporting this show as well. In addition to Clay's thing, but yeah, it was really um, really nice to see. Uh, it did happen so quick. That's what she it said. Did. But it did it did. Uh, it did just, um, yeah, because uh, it's been mentioned, but Kickstarters are usually strong opening, st- strong close. Like you're trying to chase yeah. that close at the end to get it yeah. done, but it didn't even ha- happen that way. So it's interesting. Yeah, I honestly, I was hoping, I was hoping for twenty five to thirty percent on day one because that then at least I would be kind of like funded enough that I could, I had some momentum. Yeah, um, people can but, take it seriously at that point. Yeah, but once I hit. Once I hit uh, halfway in like two hours, I was like, "Oh, I was not prepared for this." <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. We'll uh, we'll wrap Thank it up you. there, guys. Check out his clay, uh, his, his Kickstarter. I'll put a link. Oh yeah, in you the can video. find that at bloodyhell.com. I should probably tell you. That's the easy way. Bloody hell with one, one L. L and hell. B l o o d y h e l dot com. Yep, guys. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.